So we're focusing this evening on Titus um, chapters 3, verses 1 to 2. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Just a quick recap, we're in the city or the, the towns of, of Crete. Uh, Paul writes to Titus in order to encourage him to um, strengthen the brothers there and to appoint elders in Crete. It's a letter which encourages believers um, to live the gospel life wherever they are placed, in the church, but also outside of the church. Now we've come to chapter 3, where we see this word reminder. Many times in our lives we forget to do what we should be doing. And that's not just due to old age, is it? <laughs> um, it's not uncommon, uncommon to remind children to wash your hands after eating or after the loo. Uh, so sometimes we have to re- remind adults also. Um, brothers, you know, we're often reminded to um, take out the bins in the morning. Uh, don't forget to do that. We also forget to pray when we're anxious. Those times we're anxious, we, we seek everything else except God in prayer. Reminders are great, especially when they come with good intentions. And we usually receive reminders because of two reasons. We've forgotten something or we need to be reminded something that we may forget in the future. And sometimes those two things can hold together at the same time. And so in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul is writing to Titus to remind the Christians in Crete to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So the reminder could be both to address what these Cretan Christians may have forgotten and to declare what they should not be forgetting going forward. And so when we cast our minds back to chapter 1, verse 5, which reveals the reason Paul wrote this letter, he writes, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. See, Paul's instruction and guidance were given to strengthen the churches in Crete, to build up the people, to edify them under godly leadership. So that they may, they may grow in a measure, into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. However, the gospel does not only shape our Christian life with one another, but also evangelistically towards and beyond the church into our community. As we grow as a church, we can become more and more inward looking. We need more elders and leaders in the church. We do. We need a bigger church. We do. We need a bigger kitchen. We do. We were also called to look outside, outward, seeking to reveal Christ to those that are around us, around Bexley Heath, around our community where God places us. And so this evening I want us to examine just one point. 
The church within the community needs to be reminded of gospel living. The church within the community needs to be reminded of gospel living. How do new life in Christ, fellowship with his spirit, knowledge of God and unity with other believers shape how we live? That's the question we want to answer this evening. But before then, there is a pattern that hopefully as we've been going through Titus that we've noticed that Paul often gives a command and imperatives before stating the motivation or the root of his command. And so we see here, we see in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul talks about himself as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. That is that the gospel work is godliness. A goal of knowing the truth is godliness. Why should Christians live a godly life? Well, we read in verse 2, in, verse, in chapter 1. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching. Preaching of what? Paul is referring to the preaching of God's promised good news of salvation that leads to eternal life. And so we then jump to chapter 2. Reminds us about how older women, older men, young men, young women should live for Christ. How they should speak, how they should guard their hearts, how they should watch for the influence of alcohol and anything that's excessive, exercising self-control and being a model of good works amongst other virtues and qualities. Why? Why does he say this? Verse 11 to 13, he says, For, because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, but also this blessed hope that's to come, the appearing of our glory, of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So when we arrive in chapter 3, this pattern continues. Verse 1 and 2 shows us that godly works believers should be doing as we live in this world. But what underpins this conduct? The gospel is revealed in verse 4 to 7. I'll just read verse 4 to 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So conduct underpinned by the gospel. And so as we look at this point, the church within the community needs to be reminded of gospel living. You could say that Paul essentially is reminding Christians in Crete to be upstanding citizens with the backdrop of Cretans who were described in chapter 1 as always liars. Chapter 1, verse 12, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. They are reminded to do good to those who preside over them in any form of leadership and those that are around them. That is how verse 1 to 2 apportions the responsibility that these believers are to uphold. Number one, submission to rulers and authorities. Obedience to rulers and authorities. To be ready for every good work. And then finally, Paul splits final commands, the final four commands into two 
groups, so to speak. Two negative and two positive statements. He says to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, but also to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now that is all well and good in a perfect world, but we don't, they didn't live in a perfect world, neither do we. And sometimes the people we deal with in our communities, at work or our neighbours, sometimes they're a thorn in the flesh. <laughs> sometimes they, they, they don't speak nicely to us or do us good. How should we respond in those times? How should we live? It could not have been easy for these Christians. We're reminded in chapter one that some of the leaders were insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. And so we must look at this submission and obedience together. The obedience that Paul is calling for requires submission to someone. Here the context is that the Cretan Christians to submit in most cases to unsaved rulers and authorities. The obedience is the working out of that submission. We must ask the same questions ourselves. In a country that in the last census, about 46% of people said that they were Christians. And whilst that number is down from previous censuses, we know that the experience is, is totally different, is widely off. Experience shows us that there are much less Christians in the UK than 46%. We live now in a pagan country. Most people do, the Bible says, what is right in their own eyes. Many claim to believe in God but really worship themselves. A new age has crept in. Forced religions, practical atheism, occultism, materialism, moral decay up and down the land. We're living in times not very different from when Paul wrote this letter. Evil has simply mutated and revamped itself progressively. And yet the preacher says in Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. And so we too need reminding to live lives worthy of the gospel today. Our walk must match our talk. We're prone to forget, prone to wonder. And this week at home, as we've been reading through Daniel, God's people during the Babylonian exile forgot God's purposes for their punishment. But that he also had a promise planned for them that after 70 years, he would come to their rescue. But one man reminded himself by reading the books of the law and the prophets, Daniel. He cried out to God in repentance, seeking God's mercy. You see, we need continual reminders to commit to gospel work in a moral, decaying world, morally decaying world, because we can so easily be pulled into despairing or conforming to our environment. Almost like a, you can't beat them, so join them mentality. The world thinks about, number one, me. But in this world, but let's be honest, the church has begun to think the same way too. We've taken the popular phrase in this world, but not of this world, to live insular lives with no regard for outreach or gospel living beyond the walls of our church buildings. The gospel work of the church in and around the communities is one of good works which make the church distinct, yet functionally there. Reminded of some meetings recently with some brothers that we were just talking life and 
A brother came up to us and said, it's great to hear brothers talking about Jesus in a cafe. We reminded of our barbecue around the church recently as we shared life together and we fellowship. Unbelievers walked by and asked, what is that you're doing here? And a witness to our community, to even the roads that are around us. God is the one who grants salvation by his grace that he lavishes upon sinners. Yet we're not without responsibilities to live for him, to share about Christ. We're to be a light in a dark environment, salt to the world. One of the chief principal ways that Christians work out their salvation is through knowing what God desires and being enabled by God's spirit to work for his good pleasure. In a world that is anti-Christian, it's so easy for us as Christians to be hostile or to behave in a superior manner. But here in verse 1 of our text, Paul is calling out for humility. Humble yourself and submit to those who govern and rule over you. Christians are not absolved from civic duties, but rather we are to uphold them as a witness of our submission to the ultimate authority, almighty God. How are these Christians supposed to do that in a pagan environment? Well, let's go back to chapter 2, verse 9 to help us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. See, Paul describes a rather difficult circumstance. And in fact, a large percentage of the Roman Empire were bondservants. Yet the identity of the Christian was to conduct themselves as bondservants of Christ, not to mere humans. We see here a template for any form of submission, and obedience as far as it pleases God ultimately, as far as it accords with godliness. We're not to engage in sin to please those in authority, but rather to be well-pleasing as much as adorns the doctrine of God our Saviour. That is as far as it is to accord with the instructions of God. How are you living this truth What areas are you not submitting to rulers and authorities? Are you paying your taxes as you should? Are you subletting illegally? Are you keeping the new 20 mile speed limits? I could go on. Are you obeying your parents as you obey Christ? We should be like Daniel and his three Hebrew friends. They they obey the king if it did not cause them to sin against God. The saying goes that when in Rome, do as the Romans do. But for every believer, it should be that when in Rome, do not roam about. Stay true to your faith. That said, Romans 13 is a great support to this point of submission and obedience. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. We should understand that anyone who is in government, a ruler or in a position of authority, presides not as a superior body or a super person, but rather as a God-given authority. 
True submission and obedience, therefore, is a choice. A holy work of God in and through a believer. See, submission and obedience by a Christian is the work of Christ. Faith and trust in Jesus. And this is why Paul writes in Ephesians 5.21, we are to submit to one another. Submission is not giving your God-given rights away, but rather a dependency on God's will and purpose to live in the community. There are occasions when civil disobedience is called for, rightly so. It is right to disobey any authority that instructs you to live in a way that undermines the authority of God. Where should we disobey authorities? When decisions impact our worship of God. When they deceive those they rule over. We're not to obey in the context of deception. When leaders demand obedience for shameful gain. Those are not the times to obey. How should these Cretan Christians treat each other? treat others in a pagan society. Well, they should be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle, to demonstrate perfect courtesy toward all people. Let's look at that first one. Be ready for every good work. We can define good works as the working out of God's goodness in and through the life of a Christian. See, the spiritual working of God, both to will and to do for God's good pleasure. To will and to work for God's good pleasure. Ephesians 2.10 states that every believer in God, in God is God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that is to say that God prepared good works for every true believer of Christ, every follower of Christ, as a gift to be exercised. That is one of the reasons why we are saved, is to reflect God's character and his goodness to the world. And at the end of Titus 2, particularly verse 14, Paul writes in reference to Jesus, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So a mark of a true Christian is zealousness for good works, enabled by redeeming love of Christ. So really an unbeliever cannot produce good works at all, as they have not been redeemed. Their sins have not been forgiven and cleansed. Only when God makes you good is when you're good, that you can do good. Only when God makes you good, that you can then do good. See, scripture is full of countless verses about good works, but time would not permit us to look at each verse. But here in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul is adding something. The readiness for good works. The readiness for every good work. You see, in chapter 1, we read about the false teachers. Those who have turned away from the truth, who have defiled their minds and consciences. The Bible says in chapter 1, 16, that they are detestable, disobedient and unfit for any good work. The unsaved are unfit for any good work. But yet in in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul is addressing followers of Christ. 
and instructs Titus to remind these Cretan Christians to be ready for every good work. All true believers will experience the goodness of God through knowledge and action in order to be equipped to do good. But we must also expect to do good. Are you ready to do good work in your community? When you wake up in the morning, are you prepared for the day ahead, ready to glorify God at your workplaces? In conversations that you may have with colleagues, are you each day presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, at the service and beckon of God to those around you that are far from Jesus? Spurgeon put it this way, I would not give much for your religion unless it can be seen. Lamps do not talk, but they do shine. I was challenged by Pastor uh, Roger uh, a few weeks ago. His illustrations, he, he reminded us that every time he's up on public transport, on the train, or wherever it may be, taking the opportunity to share Christ. How often do we do that? He mentioned one time he just bumped into a person that had some dis- a, a, a visual disability. And for some reason, he, that was a great opportunity for him to share about Christ. Do we often take every opportunity that we have there are so many that are presented to us how are you preparing for good works are you as a believer being built up in the word of God so that when the time comes to give an answer as to what you believe and why you believe you are ready there's a common phrase that those who do not plan plan to fail or those who are not ready for good works will only fail to do them We're not saved by good works, but they are the working of faith in Jesus for all who believe in him. So Paul reminds us of these four imperatives. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarrelling. Be gentle. Demonstrate perfect courtesy toward all people. See, when I think of the times I failed to represent Christ to unbelievers, at least one of these imperatives are, are lacking. I, I, I've, I've tended to struggle maybe in, in speech, being slow to speak, or my approach has not been gentle. See, those, the last two of those imperatives are very similar in that they relate to how we approach people. Paul is talking about our speech and also our approach to how we speak to others, especially those outside the church. We've seen how submission and obedience play out for Christians in a godless society and the readiness to reveal God's character and goodness in our community. See, Paul begins with the ambiguity, but now states some specifics here of how Cretan Christians should relate in and around the community. What does Paul mean to remind them? these four imperatives. We've got to remind ourselves that this is Paul writing to Titus. And he's, if we cast our minds back to chapter 2, verse 5. He's saying to Titus that the home life that is in keeping with biblical standards and godly living stops the word of God from being reviled. It starts with the home. But also we see in chapter 2, verse 7 to 8, that Paul instructs Titus to show himself 
in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, he says, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. We are also reminded, as we read earlier on about bond service, how they should be submissive. This is chapter 2, 9 to 10, to their own masters in everything. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Saviour. See, good work in the church and good work in our family context should be consistent with good work in the community also. There shouldn't be inconsistencies in how we talk with other Christians and in how we talk with unsaved folks. When our community life differs from our home life, well, it brings disrepute to the word of God. When sound speech is not consistent in the church and in our community, we give opponents a license to call out our hypocrisy. When we are not Christ-like at our places of employment, when we're quarrelsome, when we don't model gentleness and long-suffering, when we, we fail to reveal Christ to a pagan environment. When we speak evil of our neighbours or work colleagues, when we are quick to quarrel with unbelieving family members, we just want them to know and hear the gospel, but we haven't done it in gentleness. Our friends, or even when we're engaging in street evangelism, sometimes we are impatient or we lack humility in our approach to others. When we rebel against authority to follow others in the wrong, that is sinful. We forget who we are. We forget who we are, that we are a church within the community. But we mustn't forget that Jesus has purchased a church to reveal him to the world. That is why we must be ready for every good work. See, Paul also addresses leaders that we should be reminded that part of teaching is to remind others of what they already know. Why? Because we forget People forget. We all forget. Every time we sin is because we've forgotten God's goodness, his faithfulness, his joy, his patience, his holiness, his nature and his character. So we can't read verse 1 in chapter 3 without reading the end of chapter 2. Paul writes to Titus, Declare these these things. Exalt and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So the word of truth, sound doctrine, must be declared. The word of God should be preached and taught to exalt and to rebuke with all authority. And finally, as we've looked at this evening, the leaders must continue to remind ourselves and others to live out the faith, not just in the church, but in the community which is in opposition to God and his people. See, for leaders to be effective in their God-given role, they need to be trained in this way and show others the way of Christ. The grace of God not only trains a Christian to renounce speaking evil and being quarrelsome, but the grace of God also trains a Christian to be gentle, to show meekness. That is perfect courtesy towards others and towards other people. There is a work to do in the school of grace. Jesus' work for us on the cross purchased a people who are zealous for him, zealous for the things of God, zealous to work for him. See, once we were agents of the devil, but through the shed blood of Jesus, 
Christ and the remissions of our sins. We are now soldiers of, for Christ. Does it mean that we should not rebuke those who contradict God's word? No. Is the Bible saying that we shouldn't question those who teach for shameful gain, as we, see, we saw in chapter 1, verse 11? The answer is there in chapter 1, verse 11 also. They must be silenced. Titus was to teach others how to also to speak to unbelieving leaders or leaders who were leading people astray. They must be silenced. But the talking is done by the truth of Christ that we share and the truth of Christ that we live out. Both goes hand in hand. So in closing, we need our minds renewed by way of reminder. If we have been honest, the gospel, we, we can hear it week in, week out. But there's something that when we sin, we, we, we've, when we are anxious even, or when we commit, we, we watch things that we shouldn't watch, or we, we get angry, we forget God's character in those moments. We forget the very gospel that we've heard on a Sunday. When we enter into the week and you face the first pressure at work and the deadlines are there, we forget the good news and how we should approach people, how we should talk to people, how we should be willing to sacrifice ourselves in sharing the gospel. Not looking at our own weaknesses or I'm not sure how I, I can say this or voice this rather resting in what Christ has done and just being a witness, being an instrument that which the Holy Spirit can work through. We need our minds renewed by way of reminders. We can never get tired of the gospel. But also we need to submit to authority and that requires dying to self and yielding to the Holy Spirit. Let's think of when are those times we it's so difficult for us at work to, maybe that boss that has been getting to us this past few months. How should we demonstrate the love of Christ in those times? How should we go beyond what our feelings demand of us or we want to do and actually reveal Christ to them? But also gospel living in this pagan world is evangelistic. We must show the world that we are different that we are people of God, that we are those who stand in the righteousness of Christ, that we don't do as the world does, that we are different. Matthew five sixteen. let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, just because we are nice, just because we do good things, does not make us new. <coughs> Just because someone does good things or is nice does not that make that person new and godly. There are many people that do charitable deeds, yet deny their creator. You cannot save yourself by doing good. You need to see that you are a great sinner and humble yourself in the submission and obedience to God's commands to repent and put your faith in him, to lean fully on Christ to put your full trust in the Son of God. Then you will enjoy the benefits and the blessings of being called God's own possession. He would then enable you by his word and his spirit to live this godly life. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, the church is you and I. The church is you and I, and it's not limited to these four walls. The church out in the community is what we should be about. Let us take the church out into the community also. That is to take yourself into community and live this grace life that Christ has purchased for you and I. See, remember that having enrolled in the School of Grace, we're not just alumni of, of the School of Grace, but we are ambassadors in this world, soldiers for Christ, to declare of this great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let our conduct and our speech reveal Christ in this difficult and dark community. Amen.